Hello, Katya. How are you today? I am good, thank you. Lovely to be here. So we, so we just had a so-called summer. I mean, it wasn't much of a, a physical summer, more of a uh, metaphorical summer. But then, you know, this summer and last summer have been a bit, a bit crap, you know, as in, you know, we've all been locked down and been forced to kind of contemplate. <laughs> yeah, definitely true. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? How lockdown has affected us and how it's affected the way we work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, the way you worked last year is different from the way that you work this year, you know, you know, because of lockdown and so on. Um, what's worked and what hasn't worked in the last year? Well, that's a really good question. Ooh, I love that question. Yeah, that's, a, that's one of my favourite topics because... Yeah, that's a lot of what I talk about and teach about. Um, what has worked and what hasn't worked? I would say that overall the pandemic, of course, has not been a good thing. It's pretty self-evident. But I think there's a couple of things that have... We've learnt how to adapt, and that's a lot. one thing I teach in my training. So one of the things I do is I do workplace resilience training, and that is either workshops or longer term um, programs but the, the message is still the same how can you work well and that has adapted a lot in this past year um, I think the things that help people work well in the past year are quite <clears throat> is learning to adapt that how we work so I think there's been a big theme about working from home and now that's maybe evolved we're now speaking in September 2021 so that's evolved to more hybrid working for many people um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest changes for most people I wouldn't say it's all I know a lot of your listeners are clinicians so there's obviously a cohort of surgeons and intensive care doctors for whom and nurses and other healthcare professionals for whom the work hasn't changed much because there's only a small amount of that you could triage I know you're a surgeon yourself so there's a must be a chunk of what you've done that hasn't really shifted because you have to go in to lay hands on the patient in order to perform surgery for lots of other specialties I work with general practice psychiatry and so on the work is massively shifted because a large part of that work can be done virtually um, and so those people have done a lot of work from home and that has pros and cons um, I, I would say that, that, that there is, I think we're probably well versed in the advantages of working from home now you know reduced commute better for the environment more time at home more flexibility if you're organized you could fit your zoom yoga class in on your lunch break and that is wonderful I think it's really important to embrace that um, I think the flip side of that is if you especially if you're doing emotionally draining work which you can do if you're a clinician psychiatrist GP etc um, you do that emotionally draining work virtually and then you finish that work and if you live alone or if you haven't planned how you do your work at home you can sometimes then feel you don't get a chance to switch off in the way you might do when you worked in a workplace and that that's because of something called the that's labeled the third space which is actually the benefit the psychological benefit you get from a commute so there's lots of downsides to commute so I think we're all versed in that you know time costs etc and they're quite uh, commuting can be quite stressful but the advantage is it's the third space it's not the work it's not home it's a third space and that space allowed us 
to kind of prepare for work mentally on the way in and then to unwind on the way back. And I think if you don't get that space and you're working from home and you're doing something demanding emotionally or cognitively demanding, then it's quite difficult to suddenly switch gears. I don't know if you've had that experience. You're doing something, working in the home and then somebody comes in and you get an interruption from family uh, and that's difficult. Or conversely, you're finish your work and you step out the door and suddenly you have to step change mentally into other issues and that can be difficult it can mean you don't switch off and mentally that can be quite tiring um, it can mean that you never feel you're off work and things we do can make that worse for example I don't know if you've ever done this but I used to do this is you used to wear you know, your home clothes when you're working you know well nobody will ever know or I'll just wear the smart top for a zoom call and my you know tracky bottoms that can feel like you're being relaxed, but the flip of that is the same problem, that when you then relax at the end of your work day, you're still wearing your tracky bottoms. So you never really feel you've stopped working. So I think that's one of the big challenges that has come with working from home and hybrid working is the how do we switch off problem. Then there are ways to manage it. One way is just to be aware of what we've discussed and to, if you're not going into the office, just do something to a ritual to tell yourself you finish work you might walk around your garden walk around the block um change your clothes so actually now I always wear work clothes for work and home clothes for home if I'm working from home um, and that is helpful for people around you as well so if you live with others you don't have to walk out of your door and announce you finished work they can just see that from what you're wearing so I think I mean those- in my case you know I just take my top off once I finish work I'm not going there. <laughs> I'll leave that for the next podcast guest to explore with you. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's my announcement that I've stopped working. I take my top off. I think the principle is sound, though. I wouldn't advocate any particular, you know, removal or application of clothing for any listeners. I'll leave that to your judgment. But I think the principle is really helpful. And I think the other thing that's helpful is thinking about your other tasks outside of work so it's really obvious if you're going into your workplace then you're not there right you're not at home somebody else has to do that stuff and when you're at work you're fully at work I think the problem there can be a problem especially if you have children especially if you haven't planned uh, or we haven't had the, the money or the time or any other practical reason just to sort out tasks and a big one is childcare, for, um, especially with homeschooling and the pandemic, that can be a big burden because then you end up trying to multitask. And as we all know, multitasking is a fallacy. It's impossible to do two things at once unless they're both habituated. Like I guess you could theoretically walk and brush your teeth because they're both habituated, but anything more cognitively demanding, you can't do it. You have to switch your attention from one to the other. So trying to say, oh, I'll do a bit of work while the kids are playing, it's not a long-term strategy we've all done it for short-term issues and so on I think in the long term that can be really draining and often uh, in today's society despite all the many advantages that still sometimes I think does um, land at the door of a female worker more than a male worker not always but sometimes and I think it's important to be clear about that and plan ways to prevent that happening because short-term whatever we just get on with it long-term it can be very draining and then there's guilt and other factors that come in that you're not doing either role properly. Um, and for you, the individual, it can be intellectually draining and emotionally draining. So I think those are some of the big challenges that have arisen in the pandemic. Um, I guess I mean, do you see this still- changing over the, you know, over the next year? Because um, COVID is going to stay with us and, you know, the way that they're dealing with COVID you know, i.e. restrictions and, and and lockdowns and masks and sort of all these antisocial um, measures. 
do you think we're going to kind of adapt more and more and uh, be, you know, be more, what's the word, like, you know, like a chimera of, of uh, skills? Uh, yeah, I wonder that. I think that's another wonderful question. I would say yes, but probably less. Yes, to an extent. Yeah. And I, I'm saying that as just an, it's just an, an instinct based on what has happened in the past 18 months. I remember 18 months or two years ago, the big thing people were talking about or thinking about was flexible work. Can we, is it okay? Can we change yeah. the culture? So working from home a few days in, at home, a few days in the office is okay. And now that's a done deal. You know, everybody from... But is it sustainable? You know, that's my, you know, yeah. that's my question. You know, is it? I mean, you know... Because healthcare is complicated and the way that, um, you know, delivering traditional Western healthcare provisions, you know, it's not getting simpler. It's getting more complicated. Yeah. And and, and also patients uh, are much more informed about their conditions. The information is is much more available. Um, And that, you know, yet we have a lot more juggling to do as healthcare professionals. So... Um, you know, I guess the question is, you know, the traditional model worked for a long time, but have we passed that, that, that stage of traditional healthcare delivery? I mean, for, for me, I'm, I'm still delivering healthcare traditionally, you know, I'm still, uh, actually I've done no virtual profession. Well, I, you know, except for, um, uh, um, psychotherapy and psychoanalysis um but in terms of surgical and sort of medical delivery that's all been face to face and nothing much has changed and Mm. i hope i'm not missing anything (laughs) you know with you guys delivering everything uh in a hybrid and virtual way yeah i don't i don't know i think it is a bit horses to courses isn't it i mean like surgery by this is my view surgery is by definition a practical hands-on in real life specialty so yeah yeah. Um, that's probably the. I mean, robots will come in eventually. And, you know, <laughs> they will have uh, remote surgical centers where, you know, they do the operation. And if need be, you know, uh, the old gray haired uh, surgeon will sort of come in and, and, and finish off the complicated operation, I guess. Interesting. You know, you know that's sort of going forward. Um, but, you know, in other parts of the world, they deliver healthcare in a very traditional way. Yeah. And I guess it's still working to a certain extent. Um, I think there's something about the human connection that's really important to being a healer or a doctor yeah. or nurse or, or all of that. And I think there are ways to manage that virtually. That's something else I do in some of my workshops, actually, how to connect virtually. But nonetheless, that you, it's still much more natural and, and important to do human real life contact where possible. I think your broader question about what's going to happen in the future, I don't know, but my instinct is some things will stick because yeah. it's been long enough now as a society that in the UK that we've shifted things. I appreciate other countries that's not had so much lockdown. I'm thinking particularly of New Zealand as we speak. Their culture may not have shifted much at all because it hasn't had the pressure of, the, of lockdown to make it happen. I'm guessing that some things will stick and some things will shift and some of it will be about practicalities Some of it, as you rightly said, will be driven by patients. Um, And there's a cost factor as well. I think lots of maybe thinking outside of sort of healthcare delivery now, but other other workplaces is a lot cheaper if not everyone's in the office all the time. You know, it's much and you can 
if you get the balance right, you can actually get better work. You can get the benefits of in, in face-to-face everyone in the office a couple of days a week. They get the contact and the brainstorming, all that human wonderful connection, but they get, the, they get distracted because that's what you do when you chat around the photocopier. And if you give your workers a couple of days a week to be at home, they can maybe do that deep dive focus work. And if you get that team working well together, that could be a really good model depending on the work that's being delivered. So I think there might be a, a hybrid of sorts going forward. Um, and I like to think there are positive ways to make that happen. Um, we, have, we've only, we haven't got, you know, all the time in the world. We were talking earlier about how I like to chat. So I can talk about this for probably half day because it's one of my favorite subjects. I've done a little ebook actually. So if anybody wants to know more, they can just go to my website, workingwelldoctor.com. And it's totally free. An ebook is called How to Work Well from Home. And it's got some of these ideas in a bit more depth and a few more tips and strategies um, I actually wrote it in the first lockdown kind of for myself because I I don't know if you did most of us or maybe you didn't because you just said you didn't work virtually but literally first lockdown none of us had really thought much about it it was summer I remember and I was like oh, I'll just take my laptop put it in the kitchen carry on working did not think any more than that wondered why I got interrupted got headaches and got a neck ache and I was like hang on a minute I've done an I'm, I'm an occupational health doctor as well as a GP I should think about this from an occupational health point of view so I was like okay fine so I'm in a really hot kitchen with lots of windows in summer there's no curtains I'm getting headaches oh I'm wearing my sunglasses at work looking at the screen I'm getting totally glared out um, and I'm worried wondering why I'm interrupted by the microwave and the blender and and I was like this is this is just stop this so I invested in a a a screen you might just have seen it actually um, which I put up uh, didn't cost me much and saved me lots of headaches because it gave me a bit of shade and I thought more about where I was sitting so now I don't use a laptop I use a desktop because I'm less hunched over and again hunching over for a short while whatever we've all done it sitting on the sofa like this but uh, I'm just scrunching up for those listening rather than watching um, but over time over the months and years it can become problematic for musculoskeletal point of view again it's not going to maybe be the most serious health condition you're ever going to have but it can actually be quite distracting and troublesome and that can affect your performance and focus um, and there's uh, there's a peak in people sort of going to their gps about musculoskeletal aches in the first lockdown as well so i think thinking about stuff it doesn't all have to be rocket science but if you don't plan it then you don't do it and then over time it can have longer term consequences so um i just thought what am i doing i'm being a crazy bean here i wasn't thinking about this properly so i put these thoughts together in this ebook um so grab it if you'd like it's got some of these ideas and more totally free just to help out what what's the best idea that 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 you have in the book that you can share with us today what's the oh i don't know they're all amazing um uh you know that really worked for you during during the first lockdown for me personally i think boundaries is the best idea for me and that's because i it's something i am always working on i'm not I like to talk, I like to help, I like to say yes to everybody, and that's not possible. Uh, And it's even harder if you're trying to work from home because it's just literally not possible to say yes to different different roles you might be having. And it's no good for you, it's no good for the people who are trying to sort of work with or interact with or family members. So the stuff I just said at the beginning about boundary rituals, I, I really had to practice that and make it into a habit for me. So like I said, in the first lockdown, I would 
Yeah, I think I'd wear track tracksuit bottoms or leggings with a, a, a just to work and not think about it. And now I don't do that. I'm literally wearing my entire work clothes right down to my work shoes. Though nobody is going to see my feet, I know I'm wearing them. So it it all helps me remember. And then I will take those shoes off later when I finish this podcast and other bits of work. Um, yeah, I find it quite helpful actually. Um, so I'd say, yeah, boundaries. And there's lots more to boundaries, but uh, you have to give yourself permission and you have to be prepared to, you know, say yes to some things and no to others. So there's a lot of decision-making that sits behind a, a boundary, but important, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when did you realise that sort of boundaries was the key issue in your um, in your professional development? Oh, I like that. I can tell you're a coach. We were talking about this before, weren't you? Um I think it links. Just, it's into, just random questions, you know. It no, really it's is. not random, though, is it? It's all bubbling away in your brain. There's all these links you're making. Um, not random at all. I think it is a really good question because I think it does link to. I don't know about any people listening, but I think if you're a clinician or you, I don't know if you find this, you know, part of what took most of us to medicine or nursing or other healthcare or even broader care and professions, we want to help, right? By definition, you want to help. That's amazing. Good for you, good for the people you're helping. The problem is you can't do that forever or unless you pause and look after yourself as well. Just just you can't sustain it. And I intellectually understood that and emotionally failed miserably (laughs) for many years uh, and ended up with burnout. And I think that is for me, that was the the real reason why I ended up in burnout is that, that I didn't really emotionally give myself permission to take set boundaries so I was always trying to care for everybody um and didn't really have space for any sort of self-care um and that is not sustainable and burnout is quite rubbish actually people use it a lot and I guess there's I guess I call that another silver lining of the pandemic that the stigma around burnout is probably diminishing though the corollary is that that's because there's more burnout happening which is really awful um and it's horrible. Burnout is really horrible. It's really debilitating if you have, quote, proper burnout. Not that other people use burnout to mean lots of things. If you look on the sort of geeky ICD, I think 10 classification, ICD 11, it's got three factors to be burnt out. You need to have emotional distance from your work, um, feel tired all the time, not getting, not feeling better after a holiday or a weekend assume you're not working the weekend uh, and then have poor performance and often for competent conscientious people the first two things happen for quite a long time and you know that you're struggling but people around don't and then at some point you just run out of steam and then your performance drops off and that's even worse for you and for people around you and it's all quite a difficult cycle um and it takes a while to come back from sort of with my occupational health that's on that kind of burnout you require time you require sort of rehabilitation or recovery time and often you need some time off work um sort of how long on, on on sort of average do you know what do you say does it take uh well, it's interesting. Time I, off? I, yeah i don't i mean obviously it does depend on the individual but i'd yeah. say we're talking more like not just one or two days or one week we're talking weeks weeks or months hopefully not you know months and months because there's also evidence that the longer you take off work the harder it is to return to work so What's Often the kind of sweet do, spot? Uh, time? It depends on the individual. I'd, you do, you'd want to uh, just uh, from oh, a couple of months. A couple of um, months. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
And I think it's just a question of listening to yourself, keeping in touch with your healthcare provider, GP, occupational health doctor, whatever, if that's where you are, and making sure you're getting the support you need and people check in with you. And so you can gradually, um, yeah, gradually get better. Do you want to share what happened to you? And, and um... Yeah, I think I kind of just did. Um, yeah, so very much basically what I just described is what happened to me. Um, often... Uh, there's lots of other factors happening, which I think we probably all see in our clinical practice when people are poorly. I don't know if they're having so much in surgical specialties, but um, often sort of for things where there's a mixture of mental and physical health issues, often there's a, com- a combination and there's like a crisis point where lots of factors combine and then symptoms get worse. Um, and yeah, that happened with me. There's issues of sort of there's some bits and bobs going on at work uh, and a fair few things outside uh, of work and it just was and it, you can like I was just saying before you can sustain that because you're hopefully competent conscientious and so on you, and, and and willpower essentially can get you a quite a long way but at some point you just you can't continue um so yeah that was really difficult and at the time that happened to me that I nobody was talking about burnout then and I don't think I really even knew what it was it was just oh I'm off sick it's been a bit stressful that kind of thing um, but looking back, I was like, no, this uh, uh, this is what happened, I would say. Um, and um, I was going to say something else that just slipped my mind. Because I met you um, at a, uh, at an event that I organised. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think a couple of years ago. Yeah. I don't think um, I was in burnout then. I, was, I think I was a bit too perky because <laughs> I remember taking... Yeah taking the train to come yeah. in uh, to your conference which was very good really cool um but you know you were very you were very tentative and you were very attentive and you were you were thinking a lot oh, was, yeah. I, I could see a lot of things going through your head <laughs> yeah well hopefully lots of us do that it's good to think but yeah no, I think it does take some time to reflect actually yeah, to get to your yeah. point you do have to reflect and and process things um yeah. and at the time this was just bef- uh, was before the pandemic. Yeah. So now people talk a lot about burnout. But when I was having burnout, there wasn't so much dialogue about it. Yeah. Definitely not for people I knew personally or even sort on social media. There was no professional people saying this is what happened to me. Um, and I just felt really uh, ashamed is kind of the wrong way. But I felt really, yeah, maybe ashamed. Well, ashamed, embarrassed, like I quote, shouldn't have all those kind of feet. I think it was more guilty. I felt less ashamed and more guilty. Excellent. <laughs> um, and yeah, that in itself is a barrier. It's a barrier to seeking help and it's a, it does delay recovery. It doesn't. Um, so I, when I got through all that, I was like, this is rubbish. You know, there's the least I can do is try and help people avoid some of the mistakes that I made I me mean, here am I, I'm a doctor I'm an occupational health doctor and this still happened to me and I'm a GP so I know quote I quote know it all or know as much as another person of those special specialties would know definitely not all actually but you know know some stuff uh and and it didn't help uh, and now I realize there's a lot of doctors like that and other caring professionals because we're so busy doing the stuff we talked at the beginning we're so busy thinking about other people we don't pause to look after ourselves. And there's a culture of looking after other people. So there's an, an element that can arise, as it did for me, of feeling guilty. So you might know you need to do it, but then feel guilty about it. And that can be a barrier. And then the pandemic, of course, has brought on so many more pressures and so much more of these um, issues have arisen for some people. Not all. Some people really love being on the sharp end and they've really 
Thrive, some GP practices are doing wonderful work working together in teams and adapting to all the changes that have gone on uh, when we're working virtually. And some people really haven't. It depends on their teams, their personalities, and uh, where they are in their training and their broader support networks. And it can be really, really difficult. And I just, I just want to do what I can to help people avoid some of the mistakes I made. And part of that's a large part of why I founded the Working Well Doctor was just to talk and to try and reduce stigma by talking about these things. And then also give a bit of training from what I've learned uh, and since then. So training about how to maintain resilience at work, which is why I do these workshops. And then I do career coaching as well, because some people just want to consider alternative ways of working. And it's great to have a space to do that. You're a coach. And I've had coaching and I, uh, uh, as well as do, do, giving as well as receiving coaching. And I think it's wonderful to have that safe space just to reflect. And so I have those two prongs, the coaching and the training that I, I do. But it's all rooted in the same idea is just to help people avoid some of the mistakes I made. <laughs> so it's not very nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you not- know, Cock-ups are great when when it's kind of it's all right in the end, so to speak. Um, but when you're going through it, it's pretty horrible, and yes. you know it generates <clears throat> a lot of negative emotions, and you know that that causes a lot of negative um, psychophysiology within the body, uh, which yes. is never great. But then that yes. generates the kind of motivation and action in order to to change the situation and and allow you to to learn new information for you to adapt in uh, better ways yeah I think so that's one reason I want to do two parts to what I do in the working world doctor because some people want to do exactly that they want to be like okay I don't want to leave my job I just want to find a way to make it better and like fine there's training we can do around that there's also a bit of reality which is you can't fix everything I I don't want to say that you know it's not helpful to go to training because it is and resilience training is, is wonderful and I love it and I think it helps however it can't fix the pandemic it can't get rid of the external border workplace pressures I don't need to tell you this you're working you know as a surgeon at the moment some of the stuff about how you work is not within your remit and even if you can develop yourself and work with your immediate team and patients that will help you to an extent but the broader work the shifts the demands the constraints yeah. Of no, yeah, I mean, there's a cultural element and, you know, by nature, cultural elements are within a uh, essentially a hierarchical structure, which you can't change. And, you know, you're yeah. in that structure and it's by definition, you know, tyrannical, so to speak. Um, but <laughs> that's interesting. I yeah, say... yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's this dichotomy between culture and, and nature. And, you know, to a certain extent, they're both fixed, but you have a bit more say in your nature compared to the broader nature. You have less of a say in the broader culture, but you have more of a say in your own immediate uh, vicinity of culture, which is why, you know, as you said, there is, you know, you can work within teams which are productive and um, exude wellness. And that's only within smaller teams rather than larger teams because larger teams, you know, has different cultures. Um, I love that. I, how do I agree with all of that? I agree with most of what you said. I definitely think a piece about the stuff you can control is more the local stuff, local to you, local to your teams. And the bigger stuff, yeah, I think it is important to vote. Yeah, we can't, we can't eliminate coronavirus. We're all working with vaccines. And that's wonderful. But there is a virus. There's nobody who can suddenly delete that from, you know, the globe. I mean, it's a new virus. 
it's a new virus which we're learning more and more about you know so our body of knowledge is is constantly increasing um and at the end of the day you know it is a competition between the virus and our own survival Mm, and you know generally speaking we've been around longer than the virus and you know we, we we do have survival mechanisms which are much more powerful than you know the small virus which isn't very effective on human beings because it you know 99 percent of human beings uh live quite well after being infected by the coronavirus so mm, i hope it is you know, 99 now um, probably yeah, a lot more more, yeah, more than more than before the vaccine yeah, yeah, um, so, yeah I, I, so you know that's the kind of body of knowledge that we have and if you put things into perspective and if we don't just step on the uh you know the negative emotional bandwagon that uh, you know a lot of the mainstream media use and, and unfortunately a lot of the political uh um organizations and institutions you know they use a lot of that negative uh, energy and negative emotional power uh, in order to exert their own agendas and and sort of particular narratives so so, i mean it's it's important to separate the two between biology and um uh and non-biological states Uh, (laughs) i think that's that's an yeah i think that is interesting but i mean you know having said that psychology is a biological state so you know they are using biology in order to control biology so they're using the you know, metaphysical, psychological states in order to control so-called physical states. But I mean, it's you're talking about politicians now when you Something say like they. That. Yeah. <laughs> wow, this is deep stuff. I well, you know, we're all politicians, really. You know, we're all Aha, there trying to change. Point. You know, we're all there trying to change people's mind, people's politics. Yeah. At the end, it's of interesting the day. that actually. Yeah, we are, are we all politicians? Yes, I think. You know. I think maybe the broader point. Yeah, I think I don't I, everything you said, I don't agree with every detail you said, but most of it I think I do. And I think one thing you're right about is this we're all politicians. I was thinking about that when you said you can't change the culture at work. And I'd say, yes, I would agree in a short term, a week, a month, but broadly, I think we can change culture. Conversations like this will hopefully yeah. change culture. Yeah. And then we yeah. both go back to other people and it's a network and a conversation. Yeah. I think over time, culture can shift in workplaces. Um, I mean, you know, the thing about culture is that it's got to be functional and it's got to work. Mm. So at the moment, you know, the culture that's prevailing uh, on, a, on a broader sense works to a broader extent, uh, which is why, you know, why it's, why it's prevailing. Um, um, but then if you maintain that culture, it becomes tyrannical and then it becomes uh, uh, abusive. So coming back to our, to our point, if you change your immediate environment, whether that's your family, your workplace, your, your, your immediate community, and you know, even your subspecialty or your uh, particular field in, in, in the profession, you know, that's where you can make a, a, a massive difference. But obviously it starts from the individual. And yeah. I, I, I wanted to come back to the question, you know, um, so you realized that you were burnt out. What was the first thing that you did? And, you know, that made a profound difference into your state of coming out of burnout. Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. What was the first thing? I think probably the first thing is this thing about permission, which we've touched on briefly, Um Yeah, I feel quite passionate about it. I've written a few articles and so on. So there's blogs on my website and stuff if you want to read more about permission. But yeah, I think that probably is the nub of what changed for me was was 
giving myself permission to say this is not good this is a bad situation I have to do something differently and I'm kind of no kind of got a reasonable idea of what to do because you know background in healthcare and medicine and so what made you brave but, enough to do it what gave you that courage to do it that's such a good question yeah back to being a coach I can tell your coaching skills coming up what made me brave enough to do it um I think there's an element of necessity I, I think that's probably now I think it was partly this realization it was a I think for a long time it was oh uh, I'm I'm struggling but I'm still everyone else is doing all right you know and I can keep this up and then I kind of that stopped working <laughs> and I was like oh I thought I could do this but I actually can't and that was I was wrong so I think you have to just acknowledge what I was saying earlier that you know none of us are infinite resources and we all have a limit <clears throat> and therefore you have to look after yourself and think of strategies otherwise you can't sustain things I didn't know that I had to learn it the hard way and I think that essentially is, is, the, is, the, is the switch that got flipped. It was, a, I can do this, I'm struggling, but I'm managing to, oh, I can't do this. I am no longer managing. This is rubbish for me. It's rubbish people around me. Could you give us a story of when, you know, of, of you know, what, what happened? Was there a particular really. narrative or... Like a patient came in with, I don't know, broken leg and, and you thought, just like, you know I can't what? fix this anymore. Uh, no, not, nothing like that. But I do, I don't remember actually, which might yeah. be uh, a sign of how, you know, overwhelmed I felt at the time. But I do remember fi- had this feeling actually, and that was a feeling that I talk about. And I think it gets to one of those definitions, a feeling of just, I can't, I can't, whatever this patient is going to come in with, I haven't, they haven't walked in the door yet, pre-COVID, haven't walked in the door yet. Whatever they say, I, I can't hear it. I mean, intellectually, my brain and my ears are still working, but emotionally, I can't, I can't, I just can't, I don't have space to listen to any more problems because my capacity is used up. And that feeling was when I was like, I, I need to take a break from clinical practice. I can't be working. This is not part of your role as a clinician. People, there's, there's an assumption and it's a fair one made by your bosses and your patients that you will be able to listen and you're willing to listen and try to help. And I am that person, but to find that there was a moment in my life when I just, I wanted to be that person, but I just didn't have the capacity for it was really quite distressing and upsetting. Uh, And also ethically, I was like, I need to take a break. I can't be working right now. You've got to be fit to work. And at that moment, you're, if you, you've, so I was like, I need to take a break. So I took a break and, and so forth. But that emotional feeling is, I think, what they're talking about, you know, in that sort of dry definition of burnout. They talk about emotional distance from your work. And there's various ways that can manifest in the individual person who's in burnout. Sometimes it might be cynicism. People are going, oh, yeah, about the, the other, about the patient or whatever, or about the person who wants, who's seeking help. Uh, and other times it can just, it can be different. And for me, it wasn't really cynicism. It was just a sense of, I just can't, I just can't do this. Uh, and that yeah, it was difficult. It was a difficult moment, but I think it was quite pivotal in the way you've, in the way you've uh, asked. Good question, Hader. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 difficult, and and I I remember when 
Um, I burnt out when I was in Iraq uh, at the time. And um, yeah, I just, uh, I just didn't care about the cataract. You know, the patient's got a cataract. I thought, oh, fuck this, you know. Ah, I don't give that's a interesting. Shit. <laughs> yeah, so that You're is that emotional distance else. again, isn't it? Yeah. You know, go and see exactly someone it. else. And then, you know, that patient was shocked. And, you know, we've got a tribal system in, in Iraq. So the patient called my, um, my uncle, you know, who's, who's the head of our tribe. And then he called me up and he said, hi, I need to speak to him and uh, speak to you. And I sort of saw him and goes, look, the patient came to you and, and you sent him away. You said, well, I can't do this. Go and see someone else. And, you know, that was like the realization that, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a bit messed up here, you know. Yeah, um, you, know, yeah the that's... you know, the technical word is, you know, I'm a bit fucked up. Um, but I'm not allowed to say the F word, you know, because my colleagues at work think it, it sort of reduces my professionalism. Anyway, so, you know, that... that I could see you, that. <laughs> you, know, you know, that was my realization that, oh, I'm, I'm burnt out, I need to change things and you know the first mm. thing I did was you know sort of stop working for probably like a month I took a month mm. off just to reevaluate and you know I realized that uh, actually I've not you know ophthalmology is nice but mm, I don't think it's me anymore I think I've I've got to pursue other other stuff that I find just as fascinating and you know that's when I went into the world of woo woo and um the metaphysical um oh and so and so this podcast was born well yeah yeah well you know and everything yeah yeah, i mean i i started listening to podcasts just to kind of expand your um, horizons of awareness and uh and interest and and novelty um yeah i did that as well actually i think podcasts are a really good thing to do if you're just yeah if you're a bit low on resources you can just listen so i listen to lots of yeah positive podcasts ideas exactly like you said not just doctors but others i mean i listen and to I history so uh there's a podcast called hardcore histories uh, hmm. by by dan carlin really fascinating really fascinating and yeah hard, hardcore histories and and i i realized that the, the you know because i thought i was so special and you know and i was you know in the center of the universe and um i'm you know i'm, I'm such a wonderful man and a wonderful surgeon and just do you know what I mean? And then I realised that no, it's uh, <laughs> you're not. You're just like any other Tom, Dick, and Harry, and they've they've been through what you've been through, and they've suffered as much as you've suffered, and you know they went through so much more hurt than than the hurt that you're experiencing, and it, and it sort of just calmed me a bit, you know, that I don't need to be too, uh, uh, you know, have too much existential angst and dread um so anyway you know i mean let's not get uh, you know too deep with uh, with this because we're coming towards the end uh um, of the podcast um i mean i like to finish with this which is um so you know if if we can go back to katya who's about to start her medical training which which uh medical school did you go to i went to imperial imperial so you know you're about to start imperial you're thinking to yourself yeah that's it the bees and knees i'm here in imperial we're the best. I mean, I was at Bart's, so, you know, we oh. have no respect for you whatsoever. Yeah, business. tell me about it. Oh, if yeah, I'd known that yeah. at the beginning of this podcast, we'd have had a different conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, 
we don't consider you, uh, you know, as a medical school or actually existing anyway. <laughs> Thanks. Same to you. <laughs> That's another whole conversation. That's funny. So, cool. um, you know, given that, you know, you've got competition down the road, you've got Kings down the road, you've got Bart's, you know, um, somewhere else, you've got guys as well. Right. Um, so now that you've been through what you've been through, you know, over the last five, five or six years being a doctor, you know, because you are so young. Um, what would you uh, what would you tell Thank Katia? You yeah. So, you know, you know, you're having a coffee with her and and what have you. What, what would be your three top tips to her? Gosh, that's a good question. No, he, there's been no priming for this listeners. I didn't know this question was coming. I'm thinking of my feet now. Um, top tips. I think the permission is actually for me personally, that was probably really important. If I'd known that earlier, I might not have burnt it out. Um, so yeah, permission. And per, I think per, boundaries. You know, per, 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 permission for what? Permission to do what I ended up doing in the end, but I could have just done it a lot earlier. Right. <laughs> so if I just, um, instead of waiting till I got really you know, burnt out and then saying, no, I need to look after myself as well. If I'd just done that all along, then I probably would have just been okay. I'd have done, carried on doing some work and spent more energy uh, thinking about and looking after myself. And that probably would have been a lot more sustainable and a lot less painful. Um, and I think something about boundaries is part of that because I used to be, at, and I, like I said, I still like to do that, but I think where you sort of listen and try and help everybody, and that's really wonderful. Uh, but I think it's about being more self-aware about when you're doing it, how much can you actually do with this, and when do you need to start working on boundaries? I mean, um, how do you translate to to a, to an 18-year-old um, young woman, boundaries? I think it's just, I think it's not that difficult. I think it's, it's I think you just need to, just be clear about what you need and what you like to do. And then plan. some of it's just about planning mm. saying, okay, what do you want to do? How are you, how are you going to set this up? Cause by setting it up, you set up structures and within those structures are going to be boundaries. It's not about saying no to everybody. It's just about being clear. I think this is what I need. This is what I'm trying to do. This is how I can do it. I can do these things. I can't do these things. Just that kind of mindset. And I think there's something you just touched on as well. The third thing I think, is about stories. You know, we both just said in our own way how we listen to podcasts and it helps us when we're in a tough spot. And that's it. You listen to history. I listen to podcasts about more current people who were alive now. But I think it's all about human stories. And one thing I really love about um, being being a GP is that you listen to lots of stories. And now in my other work, I, I write more. And I think there's something really important about human stories. It gives us context. It lets us make sense of the world. And I think there's something about being a healer where you listen to stories and being heard, telling a story, listening to other stories is really helpful for humans in general. Um, and I think there's something that's wonderful about that. And you can do that through medicine. You can do it outside of medicine. But listening to your own story, listening to other people's stories is what weaves us together as a society and allows us to get a sense of who we are. So I think that would be my third thing. And we listen to stories. Healing stories, good stories, yeah. bad stories, all kinds of stories. And it gives us context and perspective in our own stories. Yeah, yeah I would definitely say that. And I've just read a couple of books by Matt Haig, who's written about this. And he was saying one way he got through his depression was by just reading lots of stories. And even when you're feeling down, you, they kind of provide an escape. Yeah. 
away from what you're there's lots of benefits and we're all humans living our stories that's essentially what we're doing on the planet aren't we we're just yeah. writing our story every day so yeah. yeah i think there's something about that the boundaries permission and stories there you go awesome awesome well it's been a great pleasure listening to you today and um you know i hope it hasn't been too um stressful or traumatic uh, no it's been really having, nice to have a chat having this conversation and 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 how, how can people get hold of you what's the best way uh yeah so you can find me on my website uh workingwelldoctor.com uh there's stuff there about my coaching and training also if you wanted to get that free ebook just head to the website uh, you can email me on the working well experience at gmail.com. And I also write quite a lot of these ideas. I write in a blog, which comes out a couple of times a month. Um, but the, the first place and the quick, the best place to get it is through my thrive well emails. So I put the, some ideas and also links, useful ideas, things coming up, discounts, any, anything fun and interesting, basically uh, put in that email. So if you're interested in joining it, it's a fun community as a Facebook group as well. Uh, so people can kind of share ideas and if you're interested in that just head to the website and you can join the thrive well uh there's a little button there saying thrive well news or you can just email me but i'd love to hear from you or the social media as well the working well doctor i think is the social media yeah i was on your thrive pod uh um kind of live instagram Uh, yeah you were a few days ago good to see you and lots of people watch them back later as well which is quite fun that's what i tend to do with these is uh sometimes you can get onto them live and sometimes you listen back or watch back later which is quite fun i think i talked about stripping in that one didn't i sort of stripping and (laughs) i can't remember genuinely thank goodness (laughs) that's for the next podcast guest (laughs) i need to sort out my six pack then goodness me that's funny uh thank you Heidi. i've really enjoyed just having a chance to chat and reflect on some of these really interesting ideas and um, well let's do it yeah. again let's do it again yeah. and uh you know i'm sure we can you know do some uh, interesting uh, work together yeah absolutely i oh, really that'd be really good fun so thanks a lot much appreciated all right katya take care take care bye then <laughs>